So we'll be in Luke chapter 10. Last week, Christian looked at the end of Luke chapter 9, and he looked at the cost of following Jesus. And what Jesus does in that section, again, just to give you the context that you know what happened before we talk about, before we jump into Luke 10, is if you read that in Luke chapter 9, is Jesus has just dismissed the idealistic view of following him, okay? And if you're a thinking person, which you are, you will realize and and discern that even in our culture, we don't live in a Christian culture, we live in a religious culture, our culture constantly preaches an idealistic view of religion, okay? And, And even an idealistic view of following Jesus, that when I follow Jesus, then then, well, the Bible says I'm blessed, and so therefore when I'm blessed, it means these certain things should happen in my life, right? That in our culture, and watch for it, man, to be, to be a follower of Jesus means there should be these certain milestones that continually happen, and, and usually it has a lot to do with I should get to go into a bigger house, and that any time a job comes along, and if it offers more money, that means what? That is God's blessing, right? That's what our culture tells us. And so we will make uh, financial um, ease, we'll make that the lens through which we say, well, that's God blessing me, right? And sometimes we, we only make that the only criteria for, is this what God wants for my life, right? And, and I like that even Christian pointed out that sometimes the Lord does call you to um, make less money, and sometimes he calls you to make more money. But the, the, did you hear the common factor there? Is that God calls you to that. And that's the thing, is that wherever God calls you, when we walk in obedience, that's where we will be blessed. And when I say blessed, I don't mean healthy, rich, wise, have lots of friends. It, it means this peace that surpasses all understanding, right? That's what, ooh, that was good. Y'all should write that down. I just came up with that, so... Laura, uh, no, Laura says no to that one. <laughs> Again, that was a joke. That's the Bible. That's what Paul, yeah, peace that surpasses all honors. Yeah, <laughs> is that two? Two strikes already, Laura? What happens when I hit three? Am I just done? I need to give you the, <laughs> I need to give you the X button that they have on America's Got Talent that after, <laughs> sorry. Okay, I knew that would get me a strike. I knew it would. Um, but I think everybody in this room knows my heart, you know, and so, um, yeah, that, that's, what, that's what it means to be blessed is that we have peace that surpasses all understanding that, that I can, and that's what Paul said too, hey, sometimes I was rich and that was cool, he said I was poor, that was fine too, and, he said, and Paul even said, man, there were times where I had great health and then there were times where I was almost dead, and he said in both instances, you know what, that's fine, <laughs> how crazy is that, my gosh, and so anyways, Jesus, the in the end of chapter 9, he has, he's trying his best to dismiss this, this idea of when you follow Jesus, you will get all these amazing things and the path is easy and flat and perfect and, um, and it's nice and well packed because lots of people have walked on it, right? Have you ever walked on a trail that everybody's gone down? It's pretty easy, isn't it? Have you ever taken the trail that no one's really been on? It's pretty tough. Right? And, and again, Jesus had something to say about that. Not me. Jesus had something to say about that. <laughs> Laura's like, I'll allow it. <laughs> okay. Um, and I love what Christian said uh, last week. He pointed out this was such a great illustration, and he just jumped over it so fast, but it has hung with me. He says it's like uh, there would be times where he and 
um, Melanie were going to go run errands, and the kids were like, we want to come with you, we want to come with you, and we've all been there, and, and you finally say, okay, you can come with me, and then the kids find out, after a while, he, he said, they're, they're hungry, and they're tired, and like, I don't want to be here anymore, and he's like, I never told you this was going to be fun or easy, right, and I was like, man, that has hit me hard, is that, um, and that's what it is sometimes following the Lord, is that we put these Gosh, we put these preconceived ideas of, okay, Jesus, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to check my boxes, and then we'll be good, right? And he's like, over and over up front, he says, like, this is what's going to happen. And there's even one time where he looks at the disciples and he says, I am going to die in Jerusalem. And they said, what do you mean by that? (laughs) And he's like, ah. And he even sometimes he would say, how long will I put up with this generation? Like he was, he, he experienced a lot of frustration because they just couldn't hear it. And God help us, I pray that we can hear him, you know, that he speaks truth and we don't just say, so what do you mean? When do I get more money, Jesus? Right? But that we say, okay, I receive that. Okay, so chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, it says, after this, well, okay, that's what we just talked about. After all this has happened. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every place or every town and place where he was about to go. So a lot happens in that verse. Um, A couple things is that the Lord has appointed these 72 others. So again, remember, Jesus had thousands of people that followed him. Um, some of them were actual disciples. Some of them just followed him because he fed them, because he gave them free, free food. And what he does is he would take this specific group at a time, and he would point them and give them certain authority. Uh, this group of 72 seems to be distinct from the 12. You remember at the beginning of chapter 9, he takes the 12, and he sends them out. This seems to be a different group. We're not um, compelled to call these apostles. These are not apostles. Okay, the apostles are the 12, and that's it. The apostles are the 12, and anyone that saw the resurrected Christ. And there's some other apostles mentioned in Scripture that Paul calls himself an apostle because he saw the resurrected Jesus. So this is the, Jesus saw something in these 72 that they were distinct from the others. And he says, hey, you, come here. And he appoints them, and he sends them out. Notice he sends them out two by two. Man, we could spend a lot of time on that. Two by two, man, go in groups. Remember, and I won't talk long about this, Satan's number one um, uh, tool, number one weapon against us are lies. That's absolutely his number one weapon, is to lie to us and get us to believe the lie. I believe that his number one tactic to achieve that purpose is isolation, okay? And, And I see a lot of heads nod, is that when you are in isolation, you start hearing things and you start believing things that where, as if you had been in community, you would never even entertain those thoughts, right? Anyone been there? And that some of us in the room, I know, and I do mean us, some of us have a self-destructive coping mechanism or when things get difficult or I go through a season of depression, what, you can probably guess, one of Russell's self-destructing mechanisms is what? Can you guess? Isolation. I isolate myself, and and listen, it can appear as if it's wisdom. Remember that. But that's what it means to be deceived, is that we take lies, 
and we take it as if it's truth, and I can isolate myself, and I can call it self-care. And now, ooh, did you hear the words I said? Self-care, that's a buzzword. And now everybody goes, oh, this, doc, this guy knows what he's talking about. Everyone's a little impressed with me, right? Right? I'm doing, doing a little bit of self-care. And listen, I'm all about self-care, okay? But don't let that false lie disguised as truth become your new norm. Because if you're like me, what I'll do is I'll, you know, we all need a day off, right? I, I love spending time by myself. I really do. This weekend, the girls were out of town. And yesterday, I barely left the house. I went, I left the house. I just went for a run. That's it, down the road and back. And I sat at home. It was me, and I hung out with the cats. And I, I played chess online. And I took a nap, and it was both amazing and uh, long-term, it would become what? Really unhealthy, right? So I'm all about, man, take a day to rest, but if that becomes my lifestyle, I promise you that's the tactic of the enemy. I'll, I'll repeat it again. His number one weapon is lies, and his, his number one tactic, I believe, is isolation. If he can get you isolated, you start believing things that you would say, I cannot believe, I cannot believe I thought that right? And so anyways, sends him out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, okay? And remember, part of that was Jesus had this big crew that ran with him, and he'd go into small towns a lot. And so part of what he did was very practical. He would send his uh, guys ahead to say, hey, Jesus is coming, and there's probably going to be hundreds of people with him. We need, to, we need to prepare. So he doesn't show up and wreck their small economy, right? He shows up, and they can say, okay, we're prepared for you. Okay, verse 2. Let's get started here. He says, Then he told them, and the, everything we're going to look at is in red from the rest of this. So these are the words of Jesus. It says, He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. I have the word send out underlined in my Bible. We'll tell why in a second. Into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. If your Bible says sheep among wolves, that's a bad translation. It's lambs. And there's a difference. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. Okay, so let's take a look at this real quick. The harvest is plentiful. Man, that's just a fact. Do you see, look at how much time he spends convincing the guys that the harvest is plentiful. How much time? Zero. Why is that? Now think about that. Who's he talking to? He's talking to who? The 72. He's not talking to the masses. Okay, so the group that he's talking to, they have some sort of spiritual maturity or some distinctive spiritual discernment, right? And, and I am convinced that part of that sign of maturity is I don't have to convince you that the harvest is plentiful. You, you see what I mean? I think if he was talking to thousands of people, he would have kind of unpacked that and he would have told a parable and he would have said, hey, listen, man, let me explain to you. But when, when these are people who are mature in their uh, relationship with following Jesus, they already recognize how lost the world is. And so you want to talk about I believe one of the distinctives of maturing in your faith is I don't have to convince you that the harvest is plentiful. 
We, we just, I just say it and you look at me and you say, brother, I, I know, right? And have you ever had to try to convince somebody that the world is unsaved, right? Or have you realized that your culture is trying to convince you that everybody is saved? Have you realized that? Man, like that, this is, again, think of who he's talking to. He's talking to the 72 and, and it's, it's almost like these are, um, men and women that, that are trained, they're battle ready, and so he doesn't have to explain to a soldier how a gun operates, right? Like when, when a platoon of soldiers is in the war room about to go out, I can almost guarantee you their commanding officer doesn't go up and say, gentlemen, this is called a gun. No, they have a, they have a foundation of we are trained soldiers. We're not, we're not going to cover these basics again. Let's move on to the mission, right? And so I love that he spends zero time convincing them. He just says, hey guys, the harvest is plentiful. And my guess is that all 70 or 72 of them, we don't know what number, my guess is all of them went, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, right? And my guess is that nobody went, huh? Har- what are you talking about? Everybody looks happy. Everybody looks, look at my, look at me, Everybody looks blessed of God. Everybody in our community, right? Everybody drives a nice car and has, right? Are y'all seeing, are y'all making the connection here? I bet none of them sit there. What? Anyways, the harvest is plentiful. And then the most powerful word in the English language is what? But the workers are so few. And again, I don't think he had to convince them. I think when he said that, they went, preach, man. And then look at his solution. He says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to... What's the words right there? Okay, now hold on. Does anybody's Bible say anything besides send out? Okay. Ask, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Okay, so let me point out what it does not say. And this is really significant. It doesn't say, ask the Lord to create workers. Y'all see that? Is, is that a big difference? You better believe it. He, he doesn't say, hey, we've got to create. The, he says, ask the Lord to send out. What the implication then, then is that there are men and women who are absolutely ready. They have everything they need. They are completely prepared. They, they, they lack nothing like the fullness that they need to accomplish what God has in front of them is already with them. Are you starting to think, church, right? That, that the, everything that you need, I switched uh, pronouns there, everything that you need that the, w- when the Lord puts this path in front of you, is it crazy to say that you are completely prepared to do everything God has called you to do? Is that fair to say? I made a 2,000-year jump and a... And now I'm saying you instead of they. Y'all follow me? Any, anyone else wrestle with this? Yeah, don't raise your hand because everyone will, right? Anyone else wrestle with, I feel like God's calling me this direction. And then what's the most powerful word in the English, English language? But, um, did you watch, did you pay attention last week? Right? Every, like that these guys were, would come to follow Jesus and they would say, Lord, I want to follow you. And then what was the next word? But first let me get my things in order but first let me make sure i've got uh, my life planned out right 
Do you think it's a coincidence that this is immediately after that the Lord, he doesn't spend any time saying, okay, let me, ah, oh, man, you got a lot of work to do. Let me, let me fix you up. Let me make you better. No. Oh, you got a difficult past. Okay. I got, oh man, let me, I got to get rid of your past. Let's cover it up. We certainly can't use that. Right? Like I think about the apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he went from literally, li- literally hunting and murdering Christians, and immediately God says, hey, I'm going to use that, and I'm going to use it for my glory. Have you ever thought that when Paul, I saw this on the interwebs, there are some good things on there, I saw a thing that said, stop and think about this, when Paul was killed, and when he was ushered into heaven, he walked into glory at the cheers of those Christians that he slaughtered. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? That when he walked into the physical presence of Jesus, that he was met with cheers of the very people that he massacred. You know, you want to talk about the gospel redeeming relationships. It is, that is powerful. Like, there's not a lot of good things on the internet, but I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh. So let me ask you this, friends. Do you think the Lord can use your past? Absolutely right? Do you think that you are prepared right now? And, and don't play that game. We got some young people in the room. Don't play that game of, yeah, when I'm older, when I'm ready. No, whatever, whatever grade you're in, whatever age you are, whatever path the Lord has for you, he says, the prayer isn't, I pray that they're ready. The prayer is, let's just send them out. Anyways, I've talked enough about that. Therefore, pray for the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, and then again, let's, Jesus is like, in case you don't understand, and again, these were the 72, I think they had a pretty good understanding, but he gave them one last reminder, he says, hey, let me give you a quick analogy or a quick illustration of of what this is like, I'm sending you out like, look at this, lambs among wolves, right, and so again, man, that speaks to this dismantling this idea of an idealistic uh, life of following Jesus. The reason I say this is because um, have you ever felt yourself shocked when an unsaved world behaves like an unsaved world? Yeah, have you? Sure you have, right? Have, have you ever let your heart uh, forget this truth that we are lambs among wolves and that when the world behaves in a selfish, self-serving behavior, have you ever found yourself shocked? Do you ever watch the church be shocked when the world behaves like an unsaved, selfish world? Like, like I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be super negative or um, fatalistic, but when the world does that, I, I think partially Christians we need to go. Everything's going according to plan. And really, according, according to Paul, he says, guys, things are going to get worse before they get better. That's what Scripture says. And so as the world continues to unravel every loss of sanity, every loss of humanity, every loss of like, just things that make us human, as the world continues to unravel, dear church, don't lose your head. You know, we are lambs among wolves. Do you want to know what a wolf does? He behaves like a wolf. You know that, right? 
a, a wolf will behave like a wolf, and we can't be mad when it does. Something my mom has said for years, and she's a pretty smart gal. She says, I, I don't, you don't get mad when a blind man steps on your foot. What, am I going to look and turn and scream at him? No, because he's doing all he can do, right? And then he says, here's his prep, watch. Don't take, any, don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road, okay? And so this seems to be an area where Jesus is... Um, now, do we think he means literally don't take sandals, walk barefoot? I, I don't think so. I think he was telling them, yeah, wear shoes. You don't want to be stupid. But it probably what's happening here is he's saying don't take all this extra stuff. You know, don't take extra uh, purse or extra sandals, right? It's, there's this sense of urgency with this mission, okay? Is that, hey, let's, let's get going. The, the time to go is now. Don't over-prepare because if you over-prepare, you're not actually dependent on me. And then he does this crazy thing. He says, do not greet anyone on the road. Okay, so time out there for a second. Now, that seems very strange, but in the context, and we will understand this pretty well too, is in the context is when uh, in that first century when two uh, people would meet each other on the road, it was culturally normal for them to sit there and talk for quite a long time, right? Um, in the south here, um, I was... Uh, I was raised in, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, and it's like, um, if you're from the South, you know that when, when the preacher says amen and church is over, how many of y'all grew up knowing church ain't over yet, <laughs> right? That you knew mom and dad are about to start talking, right? Anyone else? And I'm going to crawl underneath the pews, and I'm going to run around with my friends. Anyone else? Was that, your, was that your upbringing? You know what I mean? And that if you culturally... Like when, when we're done, man, we're not done. And then even, even growing up, I remember, do you remember culturally when we would go to a friend's house, uh, you know, the whole family would go over for dinner. And then when it was time to go, when, when my parents stood up and said, okay, we're going to get going. And then they got to the door. And what do you do at the door in the South? You what? You stop and you turn. And if you're a kid, you know, we're not leaving for another 20 minutes, man. Like I mean it. And this has happened at my house too. Who else at my house and that's called a southern goodbye, is it in the south, and we laugh about it because it's true, is because the path from the couch to our car usually takes about 45 minutes. Have you all noticed that? And literally at our house, there's times where we'll do it in the door, and then we get outside the door, and then what's, at, at, what's outside the door at my house? The porch. And then we walk on the porch. How many times at my house, who in here has experienced that, that then we're on the porch? And now we're closer, but we're, it's not goodbye yet. You know what I mean? And then usually at my house, um, I'll, I'll try to stay on the porch. I really try to, you know. Um, but then there's been even times, Christian, the times that you've, you've come over and you've had to borrow tools or something, right? And I'll help you. And I say, hey, let me carry it to your, <laughs> let me help you carry it to your car. What's about to happen? We, we're going to be there for, like there was one time, you remember you came and borrowed, I think it was a tile saw. And so I made the mistake of, well, let me carry it to your car. And I go out there, and we put it in the back, and then we end up standing there talking, and we end up talking. You brought up something that was going on in your life, and we end up sitting there talking and praying in my driveway for like another 10 or 15 minutes. And then usually it comes to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going inside. Like, I'm done. Here, here's the point. Y'all, that's a southern goodbye, right? Everybody who's from the south knows that. And so what Jesus is saying here is when he says, don't greet anyone on the road, he's saying there are some cultural things um, 
that, that, I, that I need you to eliminate for the sense of urgency, right? There are some things that our culture does, and listen, there are some things that our culture really uh, is concerned about that I, that I need you to say, hey, I'm, I don't have time for that. You know, not, not to be rude, um, but, when, but, but we've got to have a sense of urgency. And so it was, I guess it was probably last year sometime, here's, here's an example, is we had some people over to our house for dinner, a young couple, and we hung out and talked. And, and we were amidst our southern goodbye, so it was, we still had 45 minutes to go, right? And they, they were at the door, literally, like as I'm telling this story, I'm realizing how true it is. They were, they were trying to leave and they were talking. And something about one of them, they were kind of a younger couple, so one of them mentioned something about Johnny Depp and his, I think it was his wife. Do you guys remember last year? There was something on the news, and I mean this, that Johnny, something, Johnny Depp was in court. Was that his wife? Was that? And there was, ex-wife, okay. And there was this, there was a big thing, and it was all over social media, and it was all over the news. And, and this younger couple, they mentioned something. They made a reference about Johnny Depp and his ex-wife, and they stared at me because I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and they said, oh, that's, that's talking about Johnny Depp. And what's her name? Amber. Is what? Amber. Amber? Okay, y'all shouldn't know that, a bunch of pagans. Anyways, <laughs> and someone mentioned something about Johnny Depp and Amber. And I was like, oh, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not really following it. Um, and, and, I'm not, and I didn't say this. I'm not trying to be rude. Please hear me say this. I don't really care. And, and let me say this, guys. I really shouldn't care right? Do, do I care about what happens in your lives? You better believe it. Listen, whatever happens between Johnny and Amber, my guess is it will not affect our church. You know, do, do, do they have people in their lives that probably need to know the information? Probably. Do, do I need to concern myself with that? No. Like, and, and the more we do that, church, hear me say this, the more we're losing that sense of urgency, right? And even as we were sitting there talking with this young couple, they made, they made the reference of Johnny and Amber, and I said, oh, man, I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I'm not following it. And then the guy started explaining to me. He says, well, Johnny Depp is in court because, and this is when I did. I stopped him. I said, oh, hold on, hold on. And I wasn't rude. I was like, hold on. I, it's not only that I don't know. I'm just going to be honest. I don't really want to know, and, and I don't need to know. I don't need to concern myself with this garbage. Like, why? Is it, is it immoral to know what's going on with Johnny and Amber? Is that immoral? I don't think so, but according to Jesus, is it wise? Like, the, the more we do that, the more we lo- we're losing this sense of urgency, you know? Or, the, or, man, I can think of example after example after example. Like, even, like, you'll go watch the Mission Impossible movies, which I think they're cool. I like watching them. And I like, you know, Tom, he never ages. He's, you know, it's like, now, now the new joke is, it used to be for Betty White, but now the new joke is, like, we need to make sure we're leaving a beautiful earth for Tom Cruise <laughs> when we all die. Like, he's not going to die, right? But point being is, like, I'll go watch the Mission Impossible movies. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then sometimes people say, well, did you know Tom Cruise is a, what is it, Scientologist or blah, 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 blah. And I, and I sit there and I go, I just want to watch things blow up on a screen 
for 90 minutes and, and then I want to disconnect myself and then walk away and say, that was neat. Do I need to concern myself with Tom Cruise's spiritual and, and relational dealings? Do I? I don't think so, man. And even, you, uh, we don't have time because I'm rambling on and on. Second Timothy, that's where Paul says to Timothy, he says, he says, man, a good soldier doesn't concern himself with civilian affairs. He says he's there just to, to please his commanding officer. Go read that later on um, this week. <clears throat> and then uh, let's just let's read a couple more and then I'll be done. Verse 5, when you enter a house, <clears throat> first say peace to this house. So that would have been the shalom, right? That just means may peace fall on you again. That doesn't mean financial or health. It means that no matter what, peace will fall upon you. Um, if, a, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, if not, you need to stop and convince him to listen. Laura, no. If not, it says what? It'll return to you. Okay. So again, I hope you take this burden off of yourself. I joked about it earlier. Guys, please hear me. You're not the Holy Spirit. We have a responsibility to one another. We do. We do not have a responsibility for one another. Okay? And so I, we have a responsibility to teach and to, to speak truth in love, always done in love, always. You have a responsibility to do that. But you are not responsible for the outcome. And, and I love that he says this. Hey, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, you know what? It'll return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. He says, don't move around from house to house. That's, that's kind of a reference of don't always be looking for the next best thing, right? Your, your job as a sent one of the Lord is, is not to continually climb that ladder like we talked about, is that wherever the Lord puts you, we will find peace in that situation. And then verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed... Eat what is set before you, which that's a crazy sentence because they had dietary restrictions. But again, don't forget this sense of urgency. Man, if, we're, if there's a sense of urgency, now think about this. These are good Jewish boys and girls and someone puts something that's unclean in front of them. In this context, don't miss this. In this context, Jesus says, just eat it. He says that, that we've got bigger fish to fry. Right? I, I don't think you need to be concerned. Oh, oh, bigger fish to fry. Oh, that was bad. Laura, I looked at you at that one again. <laughs> Sorry. That was not a... That, oh, bigger kosher fish to fry. Sorry. That, <laughs> point, point being, don't miss the point. Right? He says, hey, man, there, there are these things that are absolute non-negotiable. And then there are these things over here that Jesus says, man, if someone puts something that's not kosher in front of you, he says... In this context, man, just eat it, because the mission is bigger than our um, preference at that, at that time, right? <clears throat> Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near. But <clears throat> when you enter a house and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to your feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near, okay? And so that's, that's what he communicated for them to tell them and then Jesus says to them he says I tell you it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town 
So that's not what they're supposed to say. They're not supposed to say, judgment's coming upon you. That was Jesus commenting, saying, hey, judgment's coming upon them. Okay? And don't miss that last thing. If you're welcomed, wonderful. If not, he says, you know what you do? You wipe the dust off, and then what? And then you move on, right? Um, again, we have a responsibility to be faithful. We have a responsibility to whoever God puts in front of us, but I am not responsible for what they do with the information. Man, that's between them and Jesus, right? And so I, I hope you feel a weight lifted off you for that because I see a lot of people, they, they feel a responsibility for, and they get, they get drugged down and they get exhausted. And so, and then Jesus starts with his woe to use, and that is as far as we'll get today. We'll pick it up from there. The 12 verses, that's pretty good. And so... Um, I guess my, the last thing I'll say is, guys, don't lose that sense of urgency. I hope you see that everything in this, there was a sense of urgency. In, in the way that they prepared, right? Um, in, in the way that they greeted one another, there's a sense of urgency, right? Um, even in the way that when they would go into a house, if, if the message was welcomed or not, there's always this sense of urgency. If, if, if someone didn't welcome their message, okay, okay. What do you do? You, you just kind of move on, right? There's this sense of urgency. And I hope that, again, like as if Jesus were speaking to the 72, not to thousands, he didn't have to convince them of this urgency. And so maybe that's my prayer. If everything I've said today, I mean it, if everything I'm sitting here saying and you're going, I don't get it. If I'm sitting here telling you that the world is lost and that we have a responsibility to if I'm sitting here telling you that, that, man, don't concern yourself with all these civilian affairs. If I'm sitting here saying this, and honestly, you, please ask this of yourself. If you're sitting here going, what's he talking about? Right? Then, then that's probably an indication of there's some spiritual immaturity. Right? That, that maybe you're, you, you are a believer, but you're still holding on to these worldly things. And so let that be a gut check for you. And then if that's the case, don't deal with it in isolation. Deal with it together. At the very least, go to someone and say, hey, can you, can you pray for me with this? I feel like I'm just consumed with the world, with the, with, with the world is concerned about. So anyways, that's all I wanted to say. Let me pray for us. And then, um, and then church is over and it's time to go. No, it's not. No, it's not. Some of you are going to be here for an hour. And have you noticed after about 30 minutes, I'm like, uh... I'm going to head out. Have you ever noticed that? Like, some of y'all stick around longer than I do. And I'm like, cool, that's cool. Anyways, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. God, thank you for your words. God, thank you that even as we open up the word of God, nothing is cryptic. Nothing is, has to be, uh, like, unlocked or, or over. It's, it's thank you that your words are just there. And thank you that we depend on, um, we depend on the Holy Spirit to, to speak truth to our lives. And so you, we don't depend on any man, we don't depend on a preacher, we depend on the Holy Spirit, and we depend on the living word of Jesus testifying to the written word that's right in front of us. And I pray that we would allow it to hit our souls and to sink in and to saturate our souls, that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't just be like a veneer covering that's easily scratched off, but I pray that the truth would hit us and we'd soak it in. So that when the surface is scratched, there's still truth down there.
And so that's my prayer. Um, and then I pray for this week, Lord, help us just to know that we are sent out. We, we don't have to over-prepare that you've given us exactly enough time in every single day to do everything that you want us to do. There's enough time in every day to do everything you want us to do. So help us to realize that and trust you. That's our prayer. Amen.